Welcome to Book Talk for Book Talk, a podcast where we deep dive into the writing of your favorite novels. This is Jack. And I'm Amy. In season two, we explored Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Mist and Fury. In our postseason content, we look forward to sharing listener feedback we received, as well as interviews with some exciting guests. You can also expect to hear some special listener-requested content. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author. This podcast is a discussion shared to spark thought and conversation on the characters and themes of this novel. Though the hosts speak mostly within the constraints of this book, series spoilers may be discussed with or without warning. Explicit language, as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, self-harm, and depression will recur throughout the podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Book Talk for Book Talk for our post-season two content. Or as I like to call it, summer school. Because you know what? We're allowed to drink now. (laughs) Just like summer school. (laughs) (laughs) For this episode, we're discussing some listener feedback we received either to our email, over Instagram DMs, or... I can't say that I pulled any from TikTok comments, but you could also leave us feedback there. And we'll try to remember it for next season. I haven't heard these. No. So I'm going to read the feedback from some of our listeners, and then Jack and I will briefly discuss this feedback. I'm excited. How many listeners are we reviewing today? So we have four comments that we're going to review today. Two are short, two are long. So I'm going to start with a short one first. Okay, bring it. This comment is from Izzy. Izzy? You guys mention how the jump between the Weaver's Cottage and Ianthe's story is kind of random and jarring, but I wonder if it's in a way intentional since Ianthe dies in the Weaver's Cottage. Oh, yeah. We we totally caught that. Damn it. That's a good... I know. And actually, Izzy's not the only person who sent us this comment. Wow. Good catch, guys. I do wonder, did SJM actually know that Ianthe was going to die at the Weaver's Cottage? I don't know. I I mean, even as you say that, I still don't remember her dying at the Weaver's Cottage. So, I mean, vaguely, very vaguely. I hope so. The way that SJM said that she writes her books, it sounds like she kind of starts writing the next book as she's writing the current book Mm. to keep her going. Got it. So if like we're going to believe her, then the answer is yes. Then yes, she knew that Ianthe was going to die at the Weaver's Cottage. Damn. That was a breadcrumb we did not pick up. Oh, no. We walked past that that one. We said no carbs today, which is so unlike us. <laughs> so unlike <laughs> us. And uh, we we definitely ragged on SJM for that one. Sorry, SJM. This is our apology tour. <laughs> we hope she makes it this far. <laughs> she will never be our friend. No, she hates us. Oh. This next comment is from Valerie in response to episode 11. Hey, Valerie. So for those of us who don't remember, like Jack and I, Mm -hmm. in episode 11, we talk a lot about the use of winter and spring and what that means Mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. context of Feyre and Reese. Valerie says, while I think Feyre coming around to Reese does represent winter yielding to spring, I don't think the winter equates to her time with Tamlin. Instead, let me pitch you what winter truly represents, which is Feyre in a time of hibernation. Oh, also really respect the confidence coming in i love i love valerie so much like let me tell you what it really represents i respect that the year prior pharaoh was surviving through the winter just trying to make do with what she had when brought to the spring court she was renewed and reborn by tamlin and the fey world 
Summer represented her time under the mountain at the height of turmoil within the world. Autumn gave way to Feyre's decaying phase, where onlookers prized her beauty and boldness, but she did not thrive in the environment she was living in. Everything up until the Court of Nightmares, and I would argue until she confronts Lucian, is really Feyre's winter phase, where she is self-reflecting, healing, and learning. Under Starfall, Feyre was baptized by the Night Court spirits rather than awakened by the spring's first light. We see in future books that winter continues to be a contemplative time for Feyre as she navigates her own wishes, desires, and relationships. I wouldn't describe winter in the Akatar series as the traditional concepts of cold or broken, especially when winter is ruled by Vivian and Kaleas, who have ten times the personality of more. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Savage. Wow. I like that a lot. I think it's a great point. Feyre has not been compared to an animal that hibernates. Mm -hmm. However, Feyre is often compared to animals. So it's not a far reach to equate her to a hibernating animal. Yeah. I would say that the use of winter as a time of reflection is very Jane Austen-like. It's not. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't have to be about the relationship. It can be really about an internal reflection. Well, definitely. I mean, winter is a time where like it feels like nothing's changing. Everything's quite literally frozen. So it makes sense that that I mean, Jane Austen does that. I know a lot of other people do that. Taylor Swift in some of her lyrics like references winter in that way. I can definitely see how that would be used in. I can see that interpretation. I feel like it's just a good example of SJM's writing because what you and I were taught is that a good piece of writing can be interpreted multiple different ways. Yep. And you come to the same conclusion. Like you're neither right or wrong. Valerie, absolutely spot on. Yeah, you can come to different conclusions. You can interpret things differently and both can be right. Uh, yes. And none can be the writer's intention. And that's good writing. Yeah, I, that's and that's the thing where it's like you can't you can only teach writing up to a point at a certain point. There's just talent that you can't really make happen. And it's one of these things where that's just talent, you know? Yep. SJM is pure talent. We're just like pulling her back to our side. <laughs> Hopefully she listens to this first. But not the first comment that we she read before this one. But good job, Valerie. Thank you. Keep emailing and uh I, I love I know it's, I love our listeners because you're saying the names. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know them. And I never remember people. It's true. The fact that I remember our listeners, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but like I don't remember people at all. Here's the thing. You don't have to remember their faces. That's what helps me. Yeah. No, actually, I faces. I feel like I do better. That's not true. I don't remember anything. You can't put a face and a name together. You can remember them separately, but not together. Seriously? Yeah. Whoa. Just learned something about myself today. <laughs> <laughs> this next comment is from Kate in response to all of our comments about Reese dressing Feyre and determining what she wears in yes. A Court of Mist and Fury. Yes, Kate. Hi. What if Rhysand dresses Feyre as a mind trick? Certain things done in certain ways boost Feyre's thinking of herself. What if Reese's dressing of Feyre was partly selfish, but also partly a way to give Feyre some of her power? Ooh, this reminds me of The Devil Wears Prada. Which I've never watched. <gasps> Wait, what? I'm sorry. We've been best friends for how? Wow. Oh, my God. Did that hurt your soul? I'm like, stop the podcast. Let's just go watch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, first off, bigger priorities need to happen here. 
that's fine. We'll circle back to that in a moment. But okay, so it's like the fake it till you make it type of mentality. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very popular thing to do. I know for me personally, like my fashion choices span wide ranges. And it's totally like, you know, if I'm in the mood, like when I worked a more corporate job and I knew I was going to be in a meeting with assholes, I would wear my heels that would make me over six feet tall because like, you know, do that. And I can see that like Reese is doing that to Farah to make her get in the right mentality. And if that's what he's doing, it works because she gets there in the end. Yeah, it's true. We see that transformation begin kind of in the summer court. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where she's like, okay, I have to play a role. I'm going to wear these clothes. I'm going to be that role. I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue you. Uh, No, it's uh, I'm going to say it started the first moment she entered the night court when he gave her those comfy pajamas because she never wears those comfy pajamas again, Amy. It's true. And what role did he need her to play? Something distinctly different than what she was. I'm also going to argue he gave those to her because they felt more free Mm -hmm. than what she was wearing at the spring court. I'm also going to (laughs) argue. So if Reese is trying to get Farrah to channel and be something with the clothes, Mm. what's the one character that consistently wears that type of clothing? Amarin. And who's the one character that Farrah channels more? Amarin. Yep. Wow. 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 Wowzers, that blew my brain. It's not just the clothing through which Reese is trying to give Farrah her power. He's also doing it with the jewelry. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about the crowns and the diadems and how he's putting her in those before she even realizes they're mates. Yep. The jewelry he's making her wear, even though she doesn't like jewelry at the start, is also giving her power, though she doesn't know it yet. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's a shame we did a whole season. (laughs) Without thinking about that? Without thinking about that, yeah. That's that's unfortunate, but I mean, that's why we have our listeners. Yeah, our listeners give us great thoughts. Do you ever, like, wonder if they're smarter than us? Yeah, sometimes I do. Yeah, I do. Here's the problem. We record so far in advance that our (laughs) listeners give us great thoughts and we're like, shit, we already (laughs) recorded that episode. I know. They're like, what about this? And it's like, that sounds great. You're never going to hear it because like we're past that. Damn it. I know. We need to find a better way to incorporate listener feedback. We just give them our notes and they fill it in for us. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, guys. We would never do that unless you want us to. No, don't worry. I'm not actually rec- like requesting that. I think I love that no matter what we do, thought inspires thought. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're never going to have the ultimate answer because thought inspires thought. And I never want to have the ultimate answer because then it makes other I mean, everyone else thinks differently. It's kind of like when you and I are writing the notes and the way that Amy and I do our system is that she writes her notes and then I go in and fill in my notes. And then there's some chapters where we have the exact same notes. So I sit there and I stare at them and it makes me think of different things. Yeah, which is really magical, which is why I always think you have the better thoughts than I do, because I get the easy ones. (laughs) Do you think that? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I think you have the better thoughts because I'm like pulling shit out of my ass. (laughs) No, I think you have great thoughts on the regular. You have great thoughts. Aww. (laughs) I was going to say something. I won't say it. Say it. You're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) why was i surprised i don't know i'm surprised every time you call us stupid every time i'm like no this is gonna be it she's gonna say we're brilliant this is the time this is the one time it's gonna happen (laughs) all this is staying in oh yeah of course it is our last piece of feedback is from samantha sam samantha yes Oh, I love 
She writes so many great ideas. Yes, there were too many. I had to pick one. Yeah, she has a, a great, like she could write her own dissertation. She's fabulous. So Samantha's comment is related to Ianthi and priestesses in general. Mm-hmm. This is a long comment, so bear with me. Okay. All the priestesses we meet are either rapists, like Ianthi, or have been raped. Their ceremonies are either false, like the solstice celebration, or are literally about them having sex. We know no other in-world role for them, but we learn that Resand has a specific priestess he goes to for favor to get married, not associated with Ianthi or her ilk. Which makes me wonder, does the night court have another set of priestesses worshipping in an old way? a way that doesn't view priestesses mainly as sexual objects. I remember reading about the horrification of the Mesopotamian priestesses by the later patriarchal religions, and I wonder if this has happened also in Prithian, where priestesses are viewed not as spiritual leaders, but mainly for their sexuality. And this is their only avenue of power, which is why Ianthi rose in ranks, because in the patriarchy of Prithian, servants of the goddess or cauldron are seen to only serve the needs of men. And so the only true spiritual worship of the goddess can only exist under the cover of darkness, a.k.a. in the night court. Mm. Valaris specifically. A really interesting thought, and I wanted to include it because of our discussion about feminism and our discussion about feminism in fantasy. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me when I think about what Samantha brought up about the horrification of priestesses. Mm -hmm. Why? Why yeah. was that SJM's choice? Yeah. It's like, you know, women, damn if you do, damn if you don't. Yeah. Right? Like, why is it like religious figures, like female religious figures, are extremely pious or extremely not? It is such a distinct choice. Like, because we, the, the world never talks about priests, right? Like, it's just like the religion is mostly focused around women. Right. The high lords are high lords. Yeah. And the priestesses are priestesses. Yeah. But yeah. So there's no other mention of like... You know, there's no male, male priests. I've always wondered about that. And I never know how to feel about it because it's a way of trying to give women power while also somehow damning them mm-hmm. because they're now weakened by restraints. Mm-hmm. They have rules. The moment you add some kind of religious factor to it, you instantly add a layer of sexuality, which she doesn't need to. And it's hard not to because that's like what we do in the real world, right? Because like, you know, priests can't have sex or um, we're not supposed to. But you know what I mean? Like there's... Uh, there's Nuns aren't sp- are live in con- convents. Con- convents. Yeah. There's like a lot of things to do with sex. And again, it doesn't need to happen in fantasy literature. I mean, you write what you know. You write what you know. And a lot of people will argue that art imitates life. Yeah. But... You can also comment on life by doing something completely different. We had we received a comment like that before when one of our discussions when we talk about why SJM still has uh, some misogynistic tendencies in her writing. And we say, you know, it's a fantasy. Like, you know, you can make it whatever you want. And a listener made a good point. She's like, you know, hey, she writes what she knows. That's kind of like what like that's just how we know. It and that's what she's going to write. Like that totally makes sense. And. But then, Amy, you made a good point of like, but you by not including it because she was because the listener said by including it, you're now adding the commentary of it. Mm-hmm. But then when you and I were talking about that, Amy, you said by not including it, you're also making a commentary because then it's like noticeably absent. Right. Exactly. And that's just a personal point of view. I oh, don't yeah. think it's easy 
right? Because it's hard to imagine something that we don't know, something that we're not familiar with. Yeah, I couldn't. And especially when you're writing a fantasy and you're making up a whole world, you need to ground it in some reality that you know. Right, exactly. And if you're not going to ground it in a reality connected to our reality, so like Harry Potter Mm -hmm. is connected to our reality, Mm -hmm. if you're not going to do that, then oftentimes you do have to make choices that where society reflects ours in some way. Yeah. Because otherwise it becomes completely unbelievable. It's harder to suspend our disbelief. However, Mm -hmm. I think you can still look at making a culture similar to ours combat a culture unlike ours and provide commentary that way. I agree. Uh, I know it because you're doing it (laughs) and with your own writing. And it's hard because like, you know, even I'm a sucker for some good tropes and a lot of good tropes are just inherently misogynistic when done right a but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love them this is from a very (laughs) from a place of love but it's hard like you know even in my own writing i have to like consciously think about things and there are so many parts to be conscious of and i don't think that has to hurt writing i know people can get overwhelmed and they feel like they can't write because they don't want to offend anything or anyone but i think it's still important i mean you have to have these conversations in general yeah, and I think I think we can't avoid offending some people. I think it's like we've said in the podcast, I reserve the right to make these mistakes in my own writing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't be conscious of everything. But if you choose to be conscious of as much as possible that you're capable of, I think you can make a difference. Oh, completely. And, you know, and not being mad when someone points it out. Right. Like, that's the thing where it's like, you know, we can try as much as as hard as we can. But when someone points it out, you can't be defensive. You kind of have to be like, yeah, you're right. I did do that. Yeah, I did do that misogynistic thing. And shame on me. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to change it or I accept it and I'm going to reflect on it this way. Or, yeah, I mean, like, you know, sometimes it, it is what it is. You wrote it and then you just say, "Okay, well, then one why did I write it that way? What's What does that say about me? Mm-hmm. Two, how am I going to treat my writing going forward? Right. Simple as that. I was watching this TikTok and it talked about, you know, how they're talking about how women are portrayed in media. Black women are portrayed in media. And they're talking about the black female therapist and how it's a modern, interpret- a modern interpretation of the mammy because mm. it is a black woman who is catering and helping a white woman usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because she's educated, it's OK that we don't like, you know, it's not offensive because she's educated mm-hmm. and we don't have to know too much about her because her sole purpose is more about assisting this white female character than it is about her having her own story. It's a great point, though. Yeah. But then the second she said that, I was like, holy crap. Like, I mean, I don't have a black female therapist in my writing, but, you know, I could. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's right. it, just these things that you don't like once she said that and I started I started thinking about it, I could see it. And she started showing examples and instantly you're like, wow. And that's a that's a thing. That's a tr- like, you know, all of a sudden I don't want to call it a trope, but that's a category that wasn't around 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Right. Things grow. Things change. You know, like we think we're evolving and we start doing something and it becomes part of a trend and we're just like, oh, crap. Nope, we're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's where what I was saying about you are going to offend someone. Yeah. Comes into play. Like we're not always conscious of how we're contributing to the conversation. But that's why literature is so important, because it is a conversation and it's meant to drive progression. Right. And so it's okay that SGM wrote the priestesses the way she did. Yeah, it's not a critique on her at all, because now we're having this conversation. Right. And then hopefully we in our own writing make different choices. I will not. 
<laughs> I mean, I will try. <laughs> But I'm not going to lie to you, Amy. It's going to be hard. No, it is going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. It is going to be hard. And all we can do is try. Do as we say, not as we do. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. As we gear up for season three, where we will deep dive into A Court of Wings and Ruin, we will continue to share between season thoughts, interviews, and exclusive content. We would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com for a chance to have your feedback discussed during a weekly mini episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, please visit our website, booktalkforbooktalk.com to view our latest merch and learn about supporting the show through Patreon, Ko-Fi, or Venmo. 